You're listening to the On the NBA Beat Podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant. It's a shot! LeBron James with no regard for human life! Jordan. Oh! A spectacular move by Michael Jordan! And now, your host. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fisher. Welcome, listeners. We've got a banter episode for you after three straight team interviews, which we think you'll really enjoy. If you haven't listened to those yet, you can catch them at our website on the NBABeat.com. Our most recent team interview was with Dan Feldman about the Detroit Pistons, who were very active at the trade deadline, their most significant acquisition being forward Tobias Harris, who they got from the Orlando Magic for Brandon Jennings and Ersan Ilyasova. Harris has been inserted into the starting lineup for the last six games for the Pistons. Aaron, have you noticed anything different about the team dynamic for the Pistons since that change? Well, I've liked how they've adjusted to him. They won their first four games. Unfortunately, they've lost their most recent two. So it is a really small sample size, and I haven't gotten to watch the Pistons a ton. But what I have seen, like I said, the ball movement seems a little bit better. It seems like just getting rid of Brandon Jennings is giving Reggie Jackson more freedom and latitude to kind of take control. And we know, as Dan mentioned, that the pick and roll is really important. And Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond work really well together with that pick and roll. And I don't think that Harris's addition has disrupted that in any sense, but I think that it's more important to look toward the future, and that's exactly what Stan Van Gundy did. Whenever one's team is on the cusp of a playoff berth and playing pretty well, there's usually not a need to shake things up, but I don't think the utmost concern for Van Gundy and company is making the playoffs this season. Sure, they'd love to, as Dan said, but really it's moving the franchise forward it's been five years since they've won a a playoff game and it's a guy who's only 23 he has a team-friendly contract especially when the salaries go up he's expected to improve his three-point shooting and I mean they don't think that his poor three-point shooting in Orlando this season was indicative of what he can do from the perimeter so I like the move overall and I think it's a little bit too early to say what his effect will be this season but not bad not bad yeah definitely great points right now as you said this season it's hard to tell so far because it's such a small sample size losing Ersan Ilyasova and Brandon Jennings maybe you're going to take a small step back especially in the very short term when the team is still filling each other out trying to get used to the new addition to their system but in the long run which is really where the Pistons are looking with this move Tobias Harris adds another playmaker, something that Dan Feldman pointed to, something that the Pistons really need, and another option in the pick and roll. Looking to the future, I think, especially with his team-friendly contract, as he said, he'll be a very valuable asset for them. Yeah, he's also shooting 40% from three. And again, it's only eight games, but if he can continue to shoot at that clip or close to it, I, I don't think that he'll stay at 40, but If he does well in that area, then that creates more openings for guys. 
it prevents defenses from sagging in on Andre Drummond and bringing an extra guy to try to combat the offensive rebound or just everyone all over to the pick and roll with Jackson and Drummond. So it adds interesting possibilities for the offense. Another trade the Pistons made around the deadline was acquiring Houston Rockets forward Donatus Modiunis, but subsequently that trade was voided by the Pistons when Modiunis failed his physical. Now, Modiunis has come out to some media sources and said that the process of that physical was a joke. The Pistons intentionally failed him because they had second thoughts on the trade. Do you have any opinion on that whole situation, Joshua? This is definitely a really difficult situation for both Moda Yunus, who's in a contract year and is seeing his value drop because of this, and the Pistons, who look like jerks based on what Moda Yunus is alleging. I don't think that the Pistons simply had second thoughts, as Moda Yunus suggests, because there's no way, in my opinion, that an NBA franchise would trade for a player And I'm sure he's a player that they've been scouting for a long time and then simply have reservations and risk all the penalties and sanctions that they could be getting from the league for doing this. I think it's clear that there probably was something that they found wrong with his back that made him fail the physical. Now, it's troubling also because Moda Yunus is a very promising player. Last season, shot over 50%. He's a seven-footer who can shoot the three now. He averaged over 12 points a game last season. He's still only 25, and he's still adding pieces to his arsenal. He definitely could have helped the Pistons, but it wasn't to be. I think that with back injuries, there are definitely things that, that can be found by doctors that you can play through that might be painful. So Modi Yunus could probably continue to play, but he failed the physical for a reason. Right. I agree with what you said. You see it from Modi Yunus's standpoint because, as you said, he is in a contract year, and failing a physical after a trade is definitely something that's going to raise a lot of red flags for other teams that he's going to be looking at in free agency. And in his mind, he feels like he's healthy enough to play. He's been playing for the Rockets ever since the trade deadline. So since he believes that there's nothing really wrong with him, that he would believe in some sort of dishonest situation put forward by the Pistons. But at the same time, as you mentioned also, back issues for big men, we've all seen how they can be a lingering issue throughout a career. And maybe there was something in there that the Pistons saw that was more severe than they were led to believe by the Rockets. As you said, I doubt that the Pistons actually was using the failed physical just as a way to get out of the trade. But you feel for Modi Yunus here, who's a young player who seemed to have a promising career ahead of him. But that wraps up our Pistons talk. Thanks again to Dan Feldman for taking the time to talk to us this past week. After the break, we're going to be back with more talk about the Knicks.
our previous interview before the Pistons one was on the Knicks with Seth Rosenthal, who did a terrific job of explaining where everything went so wrong with this year's New York Knicks, who started off so strong at 21 and 21 after a miserable season last year. Seemed like things were on the rise for Derek Fisher in this squad. He's no longer with the team after being fired. They had lost 16 of their last 19 before winning on Saturday night against the Pistons. And because of all this losing, the frustration is clearly mounting for Carmelo Anthony, who signed a five-year contract with the Knicks in 2014. That frustration has manifested in funny slash sad ways recently, like when Anthony told a disgruntled fan to ask the owner, James Dolan, for his money back at a recent game. So I know... Carmelo has repeatedly said he's invested in this team. He's a loyal guy. And they do have Kristaps Porzingis, whom everyone is excited about, a promising young player. But Joshua, how quickly could Anthony's tune change if the losing continues this way? Carmelo Anthony definitely could change his tune. Here's a guy who turns 32 pretty soon. He's still a superstar in the league. He won the national championship his only year in college then made the playoffs his first 10 NBA seasons. This losing has to be taking its toll on him. We've seen some of his frustration already, and it could get even worse if they don't get better. But with Kristaps Porzingis on the team, there's a lot to be excited about. And I I think Carmelo will want to stick around with that promising rookie. He's a, a big man who shoots the three, and is a good rebounder, and is learning to play defense well, too. Yeah, Carmelo Anthony is accustomed to winning. That's exactly right. This will wear on him for sure. It already clearly has. And you'd have to hope for his sake that things get better next season, that they attract a quality free agent, and Porzingis' emergence should definitely help that. Now, I want to ask Lauren... In a time where some star players, LeBron James being the best example, were taking short-term contracts in anticipation of the cap rising, do you think that Carmelo Anthony erred in signing that five-year deal? And do you think he picked the wrong team to sign long-term with at that point? I'll answer this question twofold. First of all, I don't think Carmelo Anthony is the type of player that will command the amount of clout that a LeBron James type is going to have in those free agency negotiations where a team would be jumping at the opportunity to sign him even to a two-year deal where basically he can almost opt out every season or every other season. And the reason behind that is I think there's a huge gap between the top three ish players in the NBA and then where Carmelo Anthony is I might put him at a top 15 ish player in the NBA right now and that's being generous I think because granted Anthony was injured for a long period last season but I don't think any LeBron James team is only winning 17 games in a season like the Knicks did last season a lot of that was outside of his control he had very little supporting staff behind him on that team. But the reason a guy like LeBron James is able to command that type of contract is that signing him immediately changes your team by an effect of 30 games or so. The second thing is the mindset for Carmelo Anthony in terms of inking a long-term deal was trying to show his loyalty to the Knicks fans 
trying to show the organization that he believes in the team long term and he wants to give them the leeway to build the team the right way, not make rash decisions in free agency. So far, that hasn't worked out for him. Maybe he's regretting it. But also, I think he enjoys being in New York. He and his wife, Lala Anthony, have a lot of deals also that are more lucrative by him being in New York. And he likes the city. Although he's expressed some frustrations lately, I don't think they've manifested in a way that suggests that he's unhappy with the city in any way. So he obviously would like to see something change there and hopefully the tide will turn. But I don't think it's to the point yet where he's really feeling regretful about that long-term deal. Yeah, you brought up a lot of excellent points. I want to just hit on a couple of them. First, you talked about the comparison between LeBron James and Carmelo Anthony, and I couldn't agree more. LeBron James is a transformational player, a -a once-in-a-generation type guy, and he affects the team in so many ways positively. Carmelo Anthony does to a certain extent, but he's not going to change, as you said, the win trajectory significantly for a team, especially at this stage of his career. He's no longer nearly as athletic as he was. Same with LeBron James, but he's still so athletic and quick and strong. Yeah, I think you're right. It's generous to even call him a top 15 player at this point. LeBron James is a guy that all 30 teams would figure out a way to sign him for one year if if they could. They'd basically do everything they could. Carmelo Anthony, I think that all 30 teams would not jump at the chance to get him a lot of teams would probably avoid him, I think, at this point. But what you're talking about, about he and his family just being used to New York, loving it, I think is also dead on. And he's also working on a lot of business ventures, a lot of stuff post-NBA career. And that's not to say that he doesn't want to win. He definitely wants to win. You can see it. But he has a lot more on his mind than a young player might that would just demand the trade and just pick up his family and leave. So I think a lot of things are at play. And I agree that he's not going to be demanding a trade anytime soon. But by the same token, if they don't start winning, then and he has three more years left on his deal, then I think he'll ask to go elsewhere at some point before the life of that contract runs out. And now on a related note, what's the next step for the Knicks? They have a lot of improvements that could be made. Which should they start out with, guys? I agree with what Seth said for what the Knicks should do in the offseason. They're absolutely in dire need of a capable point guard. Jose Calderon and Langston Galloway are not cutting it, and that will be their primary focus this offseason. I agree with you, and this is something that Seth Rosenthal said on the episode as well. The Knicks, really, if they add anything close to resembling an NBA starting level point guard, they could easily get into the playoff picture next season, building around their base of Carmelo Anthony and Kristaps Porzingis. They have the front court pretty good already. And if they're able to add one of the mid-tier to higher tier free agents at the guard position, such as Mike Conley, who's a free agent this season, I think the tide could change really quickly in New York. And the Knicks always try to make a big splash in free agency. 
They have the draw of being a big city. I'm not sure how much that matters anymore in today's NBA, but it's something that they always state trying to draw these marquee free agents. Yeah, Lauren, I don't know if the market matters as much anymore. We saw with guys like LaMarcus Aldridge and the Lakers who were really more interested in the pitches with regard to the talent level of the team and the talent level that would be surrounding the free agent. Aldridge clearly wanted to go to a championship contender as opposed to playing in the Los Angeles market. So I don't think New York will be that big of a draw, but I think the emergence of rookie Kristaps Porzingis will be huge. It'll definitely be an intriguing prospect of teaming up with Carmelo Anthony and a young emerging star in Porzingis. But with the season about a month and change remaining, the Knicks are really going to want to create positive momentum leading into that offseason. Even if they have a high draft pick and Porzingis and Carmelo Anthony, I think if they continue to lose this miserably, a quality free agent is going to be very hesitant to sign with the team. So we'll see. Lots of changes in the near future for the Knicks for sure. They have a lot that they can improve. We'll definitely be keeping an eye on that. Thanks again to Seth Rosenthal. It was fun talking Knicks with him. He was brutally honest. We'll be back tomorrow with some Blazers talk. Before we interviewed Seth Rosenthal about the Knicks, we had Dan Carbaugh on who discussed the Portland Trailblazers. They're only a half game out of the sixth seed behind the Dallas Mavericks right now. How important, Lauren, do you believe is it for the Blazers to finish sixth or higher so that they can avoid facing the Warriors and Spurs in the first round? Well, I think it's incredibly important for them to finish at least in sixth preferably in fifth, if they can muster up the ability to pass the Grizzlies who are going through their issues right now. They don't have any sort of shot against the Warriors or the Spurs. I think they maybe take a game from each of them. Even the Thunder, in my mind, I don't think they would be able to stand much of a chance against. The only reason I would possibly give them a very slight chance of beating the Clippers in the playoffs if that happens to be the 3-6 or they get to the fifth seed is if the Clippers are struggling to reintegrate Blake Griffin from his hand injury. And that's a big if because the Clippers are such a versatile team that I'm not sure that would pose a problem for them. Yeah, I think you have a good point there, Lauren, that the Blazers definitely would like to not play Golden State or San Antonio in the first round. Those right now are by far the two best teams in the NBA. And even though the Blazers did beat the Warriors when Damian Lillard went off, can they really beat them in a seven-game series? I don't think so. You don't think so? No one really believes it to be possible. But yeah, the Blazers could beat the Clippers if LA has trouble integrating Blake Griffin. But he's about to return. and. Speaking as a Clippers fan, I know I'm not supposed to be biased, 
I hope Blake and the Clippers figure things out. And if they do, they should be able to take down Portland with not much of an issue. Along with Damian Lillard, you have CJ McCollum, and those two make up Portland's top two scoring threats easily. But beyond them, there's incredible balance throughout the roster, both in terms of playing time and scoring. Do you think that the team needs a consistent third scorer to win a playoff series? Or do you believe a third scorer by committee is perfectly fine? Well, I always think it's better to have more options, obviously. Whether it's a consistent third scorer, like a guy like Alan Crabb, who's really come into his own this season, he's their third leading scorer on their team, or whether you take what you can get from different guys every game, be it Crabb, Amino, sometimes Vonley even, Myers Leonard, maybe not on a consistent basis every day, but they can show up from game to game and give you what you need from them. And you say that you always like to have more options because what happens if a team shuts down Damian Lillard or what happens if CJ McCollum's not feeling it one night? But really, especially for Lillard, that hasn't really happened in the last month or so. So right now, they're getting enough of a scoring punch from their top two guys that I would say it's not that necessary. And I'm not sure they're going to have that much playoff success anyways, but Obviously, you always like to have more options if more options are available. I agree with you, Lauren, about the more options, the better. And I think a a third scorer by committee is perfectly fine. Although I, I do tend to agree that Portland probably won't make too much noise these playoffs. But Gerald Henderson's another guy. He could really help out and be that third scorer if they need him to be. Now on a lighter note, Let's talk about Damian Lillard, the actor. Do you think that he was the best casting choice to play the Hooper's baby in the State Farm commercial series, Lauren? As creepy as that commercial series is, I think he is a great choice to play the Hooper's baby. He really embodies the youth movement in this league. He's one of the most dynamic players right now. As I mentioned before, no one's been able to stop him over the last month. He's had game after game of 30-point performances. He's had already two 50-point performances this season. And this is a guy who's constantly, over the course of his career, over the course of his life even, dating back to high school, been slept on. He was overlooked for an all-star selection this year. He was overlooked last year before being nominated as an injury replacement. And I think his play has earned him an all-NBA spot this season, and it's great to see him get more national exposure and get his name out there to the more casual fans who might not be watching every single Blazers game. Well, Baby Dame is growing up before our very eyes, that is for sure. And that concludes our banter episode. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you soon.